So today we are finishing up the series where we've been talking about the fact that, that hope, hope is transformational. We've been talking about these different things that, that God uses to bring about this transformation through hope. And today we're going to talk about the fact that hope transforms through love. Love is never inconsequential. To love is to be changed. To choose to love someone or something is to choose to be changed by it. To choose never to love, and and please hear this, is to choose to miss out on a great deal of what it means to be human. Of what it means to be made in the image of God. God designed us for love. But love can hurt. And I know there are some of you who have been hurt. And that hurt has caused you to fear love. To fear the consequences of love. To fear the change that love can bring. To fear what can happen to you if you dared to to reach out and to open yourself and to allow that reality, that powerful reality of what it means to be in the image of God, to love, that it can hurt you. But even that, my friends, in the sovereign hand of God is a blessing. To refuse to love because of fear is to refuse a great deal of what God has designed us to be. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Four Loves. Look at what he says here. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin. What an image there. In the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And for some, that is frightening. For some, that will require faith. But that faith will be rewarded. Love. To love, to know love, to be loved by God enables you to love. Understand that what loves you and what you choose to love, it will drive you. What you choose to receive and what you choose to give, it will become a driving force in your life. It will delight you. Whatever it is you love, it becomes your delight. And what delights you, drives you. Understand that, that love has the power to inspire us to do things we would not otherwise do. When we love someone or something, our actions reveal it. The love we have for someone or something will drive us to do 
sometimes what is what are seemingly crazy things. They would do we would do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. You think about this woman. I don't know if you heard about this story, but California woman Ashley Bridges. Ashley was ten weeks pregnant when she discovered she had cancer, and her physicians encouraged her to terminate, to abort, to kill that baby that she might live. The article, striking. It says, Bridges chose her unborn daughter over treatment. My paraphrase, she chose to give life with her death. She said, there's no way I could kill a healthy baby because I'm sick. When she was eight months pregnant, The doctors confirmed what they already knew would be true. The cancer was terminal. And in her death, there was life. Why? Because of love. Because of delight. What you delight in will drive you. Maybe you heard the story about this British man, Andrew Priestley. 44 years of age, married. He was on vacation. They got caught out. He and his two sons, he had a 12-year-old named Matthew and a 10-year-old named Daniel. And they got caught out in a riptide. They were pulled out into the water. And he was able to somehow sustain his sons and to get them uh, to where others could bring them in. But no one was there to get him in. His body was found later. Why? Because of love. What you delight in, what you love, will drive you to do things, to be something you would not otherwise do. Some of you remember the story I shared uh, almost two years ago when this hammerhead shark was in Destin, a few feet away from my son, Asher. It is not my habit to run at hammerhead sharks. I typically run away from them. But I love my son. And there's nothing I would not do for him. And as this very creature came at him, I came at the creature. How crazy is that? And I don't know what angel was there to move that thing, but I will thank him one day in heaven, I'm sure. And then you think about the love of Jesus. What he did. What he was driven to do. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, driven by love, driven by a delight in redeeming a people for his glory, left the comfort of heaven and came to a world that hated him, And he lived a holy life that no one appreciated. Left him abandoned, rejected, and there he died. And in his death, he gave life. And because of his divinity, he overcame death. He has been raised. He is alive. He is at the right hand of God. And now he acts as our mediator. He who loved us and gave himself for us to make us holy by his grace. And now we through faith can 
we can receive the power of this gospel and be transformed and we can love him in return. And that God receives glory as we love and delight in him the very same way he has loved and delighted in us. And when we love this God, we will be changed. We will be transformed and we will live with hope. And what we see in our text today is what happens when we dare to love God. When we dare to be vulnerable to this God who delights in us. When we dare to believe that this God who is far above the heavens, who is farther away from us and apart from us than, than anything can be, how He chose for His glory to come and pursue us. We see what happens when we acknowledge that, receive that. And live in that. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 4 through 6. And we're excited, excited to have Samuel Chang. He's a sixth grader. He's a part of our bridge ministries. And, and we're excited to have him. So Chang, why don't you come? As he comes, let's all stand together in honor of um, God's Word. Samuel. Could you read for us, buddy? We're in, we're in 1 John chapter 2. Read for us verses 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. The Word of God. Thank you, Samuel. Well read. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Let me encourage you to take note as we give consideration to this text. I like his sweet voice saying something rather harsh. <laughs> There's no gray in this. There's no gray at all. Uh, to love God is to be changed and to be blessed with hope. And this love says something. It says something about us. It says something to us. To choose to love God is to do several things. Take note and let's look at the text. It's first of all, it's to, it's to claim Him through obedience. This verse 4, this verse 4 has teeth. Look what this says. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Man. And the truth is not in him. What a strong statement. What is he saying here? He's saying this. If you say you are a Christian, but you do not live for Jesus, you do not live as Jesus, you do not live by the power of Jesus in obedience to Jesus, then you're lying. Don't, and don't get mad at me. Don't send me the emails. This is God's Word. Deal with Him. It says it very plainly here in verse 4. To claim to be a Christian is to claim to be under the influence of and leadership of Jesus. There are far too many so-called Christians living with a potentially false hope because they are living under the delusion of the concept of a single prayer. I do not by any means want to cause anyone to doubt their salvation. But I do by all means want to encourage you to have an assurance of your salvation. 
and not to deceive yourselves or to be deceived. God's word here is plain. There are so many I've talked to over the years who say something like this. I can remember when I was this age, I prayed this prayer. Or, yes, I prayed this prayer to Jesus, and even though I don't live for Jesus, or like Jesus, or as Jesus, I know I'm saved. Really. I think verse 4, I think verse 4 has something to say that would refute that. I think common sense would refute that. Now please understand, this does not mean that our obedience in any way saves us. Our salvation is not dependent upon our works. Salvation, say it with me, is by, through, in, alone. In Christ alone. But when you are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, you will seek to obey Him. You will love Him. And hear this, to love Jesus is to hate sin. To claim Christ as your own is to claim war against sin. Please understand, Jesus Christ came for war. He came to do war against the enemy. And the enemy... It's the Lord, and He is the master of sin. That is His realm. That's what He desires. That's what He lives for. And to say that you are of Christ, and that you are living with and as the enemy, it's a contradiction that, that makes no sense. There is a difference. And Don Brown did a great job this week when we were uh, training missionaries. He, he spoke of the difference between inequity and sins of the flesh. I'd never thought of it this way before. Inequity is when we sin and and feel no guilt because we think nothing of it, because we desire it, because we love it. There, There is no presence of the power of God in the person who chooses not to love Him, but instead chooses to love sin. What do you desire? That's the issue. It's not do you stumble. Well, of course you stumble. We're human. Yes, we're going to sin. Why? Because we still have sin in our flesh and we live in a fallen world and a devil is out for us. That's true. But there's a difference between iniquity, where we desire, we long for, we delight in sin, and then experiencing the pain and the difficulty of the sins of the flesh, where we do what it is we do not want to do. This is Paul's testimony. You know this. In Romans chapter 7, what did he say about the sins of the flesh? What did he say about this this battle that, that he was that he was in, this this challenge that, that he was willing to face. Romans chapter seven, verses eighteen through twenty, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire, I have the desire to do what is right. 
What drives us are our desires. What do you desire? Do you desire Christ? Do you desire His love? Do you desire that love to be manifest in you? Do you desire to be changed by that love? The Apostle said, for I have the desire to do what is right, to be like Christ, but not the ability to carry it out. Why? Because we have sin in our flesh. Because we're in a fallen world and there's a devil. So how does he deal with this? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do. I do not want. That is what I, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. What's he saying? This isn't what I desire. I don't desire to sin. I don't desire to hate. I don't desire to, to fall into sin. That is not a man who is living in iniquity. That is a man who is fighting with Christ against the very thing he hates, which is sin. Is that you? Is that you? See, to love God is to be changed by God. And to claim God is to claim a hatred for sin. Doesn't mean you won't struggle. Doesn't mean you won't fall. What it does mean is that you have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And though you stumble, you will still go forward. And you will get up again and again and again. Because the claim of Christ the claim of Christ leads you to obey Him. Second, to choose to love God is to be perfected by Him through obedience. First part of verse 5. But whoever keeps this word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. Understand, the more we love God, the more we will obey God. You've heard me say this. I need to say it more and more to make sure it's burned into our hearts and minds and, and, and brains. To know the Word of God sets us free. To love God. Understand this. We must, we must know God's Word to know God's will so that we can know God's way. We must know God's Word to know God's will, to know God's way. You see that? It begins with a knowledge of God's Word, which enables us to know God's will, which will allow us to know God's way. Some of you, you don't know God's way, and you don't know God's will, because you don't know God's Word. If we are going to be perfected, if we are going to be someone who is, is transformed by Him, we've got to know Him. We must know God's Word. And here's, here's what you'll find. The, no, the more you know God's Word, the more you will love God's Word. The more you'll hide it in your heart. The more you'll consume it doesn't mean you won't have days when you're fatigued. doesn't mean you won't have days when your mind is, is running with other things and, and you find it challenging to focus in on the Word of God. But when you read the Word of God for what it is, which is a story about God and not us, let's not forget that. The Bible is not about us. Often, if you find yourself being bored with the Bible, what you're really saying is that you're bored with God. 
Because most of the time, the reason why we get bored with the Word of God is because it's not about us. I cannot tell you how many times I have said and heard other people say, you know what, that, that didn't really have a lot for me. You know what we're saying? That part's not about me, so I'm not real interested in it. You know what the secret to loving the Word of God? is to loving the author of the Word of God. It's loving God. And when you see Him in the story, and you can see Him in Leviticus, you can see His holiness and His power. You can see the, in, in, the infinite idea of the greatness of God. And the more you see of God in His Word, the more you will love that Word and the more you will love God. And the more you love God, the more you obey God. Are you struggling to obey God? Is there an area where you're struggling? Let me make sure you understand this. The problem is not, is not in your willpower. The problem is in your love. Because what you delight in will drive you. Love has the power to drive you to what it is you love. So understand, if, you're, if you have a sin problem, really and truly, what you have is a love problem. You're loving the wrong things. And you're not loving the right person. The more you know God, the more you love God. And the more you love God, the more you obey Him. And when you know Him, you delight in Him. To know God's Word is to know God's will. So that you can know God's way and walk in it. Scripture tells us, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. You will become more and more like him the more you love him. That love will be perfected in you. It will be perfected in you as you obey him. But what's going to lead you to obey him? You loving him. So the more you love him, the more you will obey him. And the more you obey him, the more his love is perfected in you. How do I do that, you say? You must know the Word of God. And the more you know the Word of God, you will then be set free to, to understand the will of God and then you will be able to walk in the way of God, which will change you, transform you, and perfect you in His love. To choose to love God, third, is to be assured in Him through obedience. This is a very important verse, section of this verse. Very important statement. By this we may know that we are in Him. I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with lost people who say, you know, I think I know Him. I, 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 you know, I, I hope I know Him. That when, that when they say that word hope, that they're not really using the right word. What the right word they should be using is wish. I, I, I'd like to wish to think that I, I, I knew Him. But we need to understand, if we're Christians, if we are the redeemed of God... We can say what is said right here. By this, we may know that we are in Him. Our obedience provides assurance for our salvation. And friends, it's not, it's, this assurance is just not about being ready in the day you, that you die, that you have this assurance. But I, I do want to tell you, 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 you want that, and hear me, get this, your family and friends need that. Please don't make one of us do your funeral and have to sit down with your kids and your friends and, and have them say, you know, I know we prayed a prayer once, you know, 
I know he went to church some, you know. You know, I think, I think he's a Christian. I, I, I can't tell him, I'd like to think he was a Christian. Don't do that to you. Don't do that to them. And above all, don't do that to our God. Know that you know that you are in Him. That He is yours and you are His. Not just so that on that judgment day, when you meet Him and you give an account for your life, that you know that you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Know your assurance because life is going to get hard. If it hasn't, it will. And if it is, it will again. If it hasn't in a while, praying for you. And in those moments when life gets hard, what's going to be your confidence? A pill? A drink? Something on the internet? Something you can buy? Is that going to be your confidence? Is that going to be your answer? Is that what you're going to look for to enable you to get through whatever trial is going to come? It will not only fail you, it will make the problem worse. Friends, in those moments when marriage gets hard and work gets hard and health is taken, You need to know who is with you. Not just because life gets hard, but also when emotions get past your control. Some live a charmed life where their emotions seemingly stay in check most of their life. And quite honestly, if that is you, be careful that you do not become judgmental of those who struggle with depression. Of those who are overwhelmed by the hurt that has happened to them in their life. And just remember, you may think you know someone, but only God knows, truly knows, the hurt and the heart injuries that have happened. And you need to know that Your emotions can get past you. I have a dear friend who has my greatest respect who woke up three years ago and could not get out of bed. What will you do if tomorrow when you wake up, physically you can do it, mentally you know to get up, but you do not have the emotional capacity to get out of bed. And all you can do is put the covers over your head and sit in your stink and feel as though you are rotting from the depths of your soul out into the world. What are you going to do in that moment? Where are you going to draw strength? What are you going to lean on then? If you do not have an assurance of the grace of God in your life, friend, you have nothing. I don't care how much money you got. You can't buy your way out of that. I don't care how many friends you have, how much fun you've had. You can't party your way out of that. I don't care what kinds of pleasure that you, you, you tend to fall into. Your pleasure can't free you from that. Only the grace and the love of God. What are you going to do when life comes? 
What are you going to do when your emotions are behind, are, are, are overwhelming? And, all right, what are you going to do when the enemy accuses you and you enter into the arena of spiritual warfare? And all the reminders, all the sin, all the shame, all the things you have done are brought to your mind by the whisper of the dark one of this world. And that dark one says, how dare you go into that church? How dare you pray to holy God? How dare you open that holy book? How dare you think that you can associate with those people that really do love God, that are not like you, that don't know your secrets. How can you do that? What do you do in that moment? What do you have in your arsenal to fight that? If you have, if you do not have Christ, then you have nothing. And you will be driven down deep into the sorrow of sin and pain and you will be broken and lost. Friends, the grace of Jesus will save you. The grace of Jesus will give you His presence. The grace of Jesus will transform you. And here's what we all need. We need to be able to point to the facts. When life comes, when emotions overwhelm, when, when, when we are driven back by Satan, when we're put on our heels by the dark one, here's what we need to be able to say. My hope is built, can you say it with me, on nothing less than... That's it. My hope is not built on what I have or have not done. My hope is not built on what I have or don't have. My hope is not built on what I can and cannot do. My hope is built on the fact that God loves me even though I can't get out of this bed today. My God loves me even though my marriage and my family and my health is falling apart on me. My hope is built on Christ alone. And when He is your strength, when He is your hope, when He is your love, you can be assured. And you can say to Satan, I love to say this to Satan. Satan, when he brings accusations against me, that is true and more. And yet, he loves me still. Satan hates. And yet, He loves me still. When you have that kind of assurance, oh, my friends, there is a strength in your weakness. And there is a power that is yours. This assurance that comes through the love of God as you obey Him, as you live in Him. Last, to choose to love God is to abide in Him through obedience. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When we remain close to Jesus and abide in him, we will live like him. I cannot speak enough of the power of a mentor. 
a power of someone you love and admire investing in your life. I cannot tell you how many times as a dad, as your pastor, as your friend, I have often asked myself this question. What would Brother Bob say? Brother Bob was my first pastor. He dedicated my wife when she was born. He baptized both of us. He married us. He ordained me. He put his hands on me. And he prayed, God, if you ever see a moment when Jason will embarrass you, kill him first. And so he freaked me out. But I love that man. And I admire him. And I admire my friend Scott Patty that you're going to get to hear preach here on June 21st. Do not miss June 21st. And I think about these men. And you know why I think about them? Because they remind me of Jesus. They have been Jesus to me. They have been His hands. They have been His words. They have been His presence many times in my life. And, And when I see Jesus in His Word and in His people and in song and in sermon and any way I can see Him and I find the capacity to abide, to lean in, to be rubbed by this gracious God, there is, there is a greater sense in me to obey Him, to be Him, to love Him. And to choose to love God is to choose to abide in Him through obedience. When we spend time with Jesus, we abide in Him. Are you abiding in Him? Let me, let me ask you three things here. When I, make sure you understand what I'm talking about. One is, do you regularly abide in Him through worshiping Him with His family? Statistically, I don't know the stats on our church, but statistically, almost 40% of God's children are every other week or less. Our numbers would indicate that is true of us. Abide in Him. Abide in Him in worship. And then, what about beyond Sunday? Are you worshiping Jesus beyond Sunday? Do you worship Him every day and every moment? Are you living in the presence of Jesus? How do you do that, you say? Well, you begin your day, or you end your day in preparation for what is coming by being alone with Him in His Word. You cannot live for Him if you don't know Him. You cannot live and obey Him if you don't love Him. You will not choose to not deny yourself and receive what only He can give if you're not walking with Him. How do you do that? you got to know the Word of God so you can know the will of God so you can live in the way of God. And so this morning, I've got to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ crucified and raised? And is He both the Savior and Lord of your life? I know many of you will, knee-jerk reaction, say, yes, let me ask you this. Are you right now living a life that reflects 
that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you hunger for His Word? Are you walking in His way because you love Him? Is He transforming you with His power? Is your assurance sure? Are you counting on Him? Are you bringing glory to Him? You may. You may not. This morning, I want to invite you to ask God to change you. Some of you to save you. Others of you to do a miracle in your life or in the life of someone you know and love and care about. And trust Him to do it because of His mercy. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, Your Word is true. And this Word that we've read today is a strong Word. It's strong in that it has some real definite terms and some real black and white, obvious realities here. Father, to the best of my ability, I have sought to tell the truth and to illustrate it and to explain it. But now, God, Here's what we know, I know. Only you can change a heart. Only you can draw people to yourself. Only you can save and strengthen and restore and transform. And so God, I pray right now, if you are doing, have done, in the process of doing that work, I pray for those that you're at work in, that they will come and get on their knees and ask you to do what only you can do. To transform them that they might love you. trusting and hoping in you and be transformed by that hope in you. Hear the prayers of your people now as they come and the song of your people as we sing of your mercy. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.